In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text is Acts 17. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Thus far our text. Philosophers and intellectuals, today we call them nerds. A couple generations ago we called them eggheads. These are often objects of fun to ordinary people, and it's easy to understand why. Intellectuals see things others don't, and miss things others see clearly. The absent-minded professor is a popular example. Intellectuals think deeply about things, and unless they are deep into the same things, they may not be able to communicate with one another, much less with the public at large. Imagine someone who's devoted his life to the study of Chinese language and philosophy, and someone else who has mastered the various forms of machine language and computer technology. How could they have a conversation at a cocktail party? Much less communicate to any of us how they spend their ordinary working days. Nevertheless, we can't live without such intellectuals, philosophers, nerds, or eggheads. 
They populate the universities everyone wants to get into. They invent the machines everyone wants to have. And when your computer breaks down, you've got to get one of these folks in to fix it for you. And as with any group, intellectuals have their particular temptations. Since they understand things at a deep level, they may become dissatisfied with accepting Christian teaching solely on faith. They recognize problems and contradictions that others do not. And they are tempted, as all people are, by pride. And non-intellectuals, too, often fall into that same sin of pride, boasting not in the Lord, but rather boasting in the fact that they are not intellectual, exulting in their shame and presenting an ugly picture of resentment and insecurity rather than of faith and assurance in God alone. No one understood better than St. Paul that the Word of God is addressed to all sorts and conditions of men, including the intellectual and the philosopher. His sermon on Mars Hill, in Greek called the Areopagus, is addressed to the philosophers of ancient Greece, and it presents God's word by acknowledging our central idea that philosophers can know some things about God, but salvation is only revealed in Christ. Now in the first place, philosophers can know some things about God. The ancient Greek philosophers have an impressive record of things that they discovered, of truths that they recognized. They recognized patterns and order in nature. There's a pattern to way the, the weather runs Rains in spring, sun in summer, cold in fall when the plants die. There's an order in nature. They further recognize that nothing moves without a mover, without something moving it. The great philosopher Aristotle reasoned that there must be a first mover, that this chain of movement is not endless, it must have a beginning. And Aristotle identified that first mover with God. The philosophers further recognize what we all acknowledge by intuition, that life has a purpose. And order facilitates that purpose. If you want to have bread in the winter, you've got to plant the seed in the spring, water it and weed it in the summer, and then harvest it in the fall before the animals and insects get to it. And such purpose suggests a will. If the world has order and purpose, there must be a will behind this order and purpose. They further recognize that the material world has design, and this implies a designer. If you found a clock lying in the street, you'd reason that there's a clockmaker somewhere. Our world is much more complex than any clock. Surely it implies a designer. And the Greek philosophers recognize that the first mover with a will and a purpose is what we call God. And since there's only one first mover, since there's one overarching design, these show that there is one God. Not the manifold gods of the polytheistic Greek superstitions, 
what the pagans called daemons and has come into Christian parlance as demons, but one God, creator and designer. And they further recognize that this God is both transcendent and imminent. Pardon my use of some intellectual terms there. But transcendent means that God is far beyond our understanding, our world. He is the unknown God mentioned in the altar that Paul pointed out. The Epicureans emphasized the transcendence of God. They reasoned that God was so apart from us, so beyond human comprehension that we can only live the most pleasant life we can without counting on his concern or his help. The Stoics emphasized God's imminence. In him we move and have our being, that God is with us, that God is in us, that our lives ought to be an expression of God's will or God's laws. And this, God's laws, are seen in nature. Again, the Greeks have an impressive record of recognizing the physical laws of geometry and arithmetic of proportion and displacement. Names like Euclid and Archimedes are still discussed in university halls to this day. Even in children's educational television on occasion. And they recognize further that there are moral laws such as loyalty, public trust, respect, temperance, things discussed in Plato's dialogues and Aristotle's ethics. And to live within these laws would bring as much salvation as one could obtain in the view of the philosophers. And there were different schools of philosophy. The Epicureans tried to maximize pleasure unconcerned with the faraway transcendent God. The Stoics tried to live as an impassive expression of the will of the imminent God who is in within each one of us. But these gods of the philosophers weren't enough. They didn't satisfy the human cravings of those who wanted to know something new. And they could not discover the will of God towards a fallen mankind. Because if salvation comes from living within the laws of God, what will happen to us who have failed repeatedly and continue to fail to live up to the laws of God we see written in nature? Only in Christ is the true God revealed with his salvation. The philosophers correctly identified many things about God, creation, law, judgment. They also acknowledged that the creator of our minds must be greater than our understanding. And therefore only by God becoming human could humans know the true God. This was done in Christ who became man for us and for our salvation. This is what was proclaimed by Paul and the crux for Paul was Jesus rising from the dead. This confirmed the divinity of the messenger and it also showed the possibility of renewal for Christ as man, as flesh, as material was the first fruits of those who died. 
His resurrection shows that this material world can be renewed, that you and I, our ruined lives, can be redeemed and healed and saved. And it was at that point that Paul lost most of his audience. Most of the philosophers could not accept, could not imagine a resurrection from the dead. Few were persuaded by Paul's sermon. Luke records that only Dionysius and a couple of others became disciples after this. And this has been a pattern in church history. Many philosophers, many intellectuals could not admit to a truth or a mind greater than their own. But to those philosophers who believed... God gave a completeness, a richer understanding of heaven and earth than they had before. In the generation after Paul, a philosopher named Justin, who wore the philosopher's cloak, came to the Christian faith, and he refused to discard his philosopher's cloak. He said that his faith made him complete as a philosopher. And the generation after him, Clement of Alexandria, made the Christian faith intelligible to the fashionable Gnostics. He related Christian teaching to the intellectual ideas of his day. And another generation after him, Augustine of Hippo, a teacher of rhetoric, fond of Plato's philosophy, found purpose and self-mastery in the Christian faith. The life of a gifted man that was dissipated was now brought to subjection to the Word of God. And St. Augustine has become one of the church's most eminent intellectuals. And a few hundred years after Augustine, St. Anselm wrote, I do not seek to understand in order to believe. I believe in order that I may understand. And Anselm wrote with great insight and eloquence on why God became man in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christians therefore do not reject reason and philosophy, but we subject these to Christ. For there are some things that the philosophers can know about God but salvation only is revealed through Christ Jesus. We deny the magisterial use of reason, the idea that reason is the master, or reason is supreme, or reason is the only source of truth. But we affirm the ministerial use of reason, reason as a servant to faith and to the truth. So there has always been an honored place in the church for philosophy, even Christian philosophy. For the very word philosopher means lover of wisdom. Only in Christ is that love fulfilled, as St. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, that Christ is the wisdom of God. For we may discover many truths by our created gift of reason. And we rejoice when we see those truths possessed by others outside our circles. We acknowledge that truth can be discovered in the lab. 
in the scholar's meditation, in the experience of the explorer. And we rejoice in truth of all kinds, but only Christ is that truth which all humans in one form or another seek. As St. Augustine confessed, You have made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. May this rest that Augustine found and that truth St. Paul proclaimed to the philosophers be with you always to the close of the age. And the peace of God that surpasses our understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ our Lord. Amen.